Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up, a conversation with newly appointed Fulton County Elections Board Chair Kathy Woolard. We'll have that coming up. Plus, Is it time to get vaccinated for the flu? Dr. Michelle Nichols from the Morehouse School of Medicine joins me. Those conversations coming up. But first, we begin with this. That is the weather, according to the National Weather Service in Peachtree City. The forecast every day this week is basically this. Showers and a possible thunderstorm, which could mean flash flood warnings and advisories. Keep the galoshes and umbrella handy until Saturday, because that's when the forecast calls for mostly sunny and a high near 77. And from our WABE news, we hear the Atlanta Public Schools will offer some incentives for students and staff to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Starting this month, officials will roll out an incentive for vaccinated staff, according to Katika Lovett. She's an assistant superintendent for student services. Employees who are fully vaccinated or exempted and who consistently participate in their surveillance testing are eligible for up to two weeks of paid leave if they are quarantined or if they contract COVID-19. Now, APS will also hold vaccination events later this month for students and their families in regions of the district that have low inoculation rates. Students who get the shot can get up to $100 in gift cards. Family members can get 50 APS says its total number of positive COVID cases has dropped significantly since its peak at the end of August. And as always, a note of disclosure, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. In related news, the COVID-19 pandemic obviously continues, but it's showing signs of improvement here in Georgia. Now, the Delta surge keeps receding, though at a slightly slower pace. The latest state data show the rolling average of new coronavirus infections is down from the peak of the Delta surge, which happened in late August. Now, though the pace of that decline has slowed a bit in recent days, we know COVID-19 hospitalizations are down and right now in line with levels seen during last summer's peak. The state data also shows COVID-19 deaths are about as high as they've ever been here in Georgia. That, though, as more and more Georgians get COVID-19 boosters. Since 56,000 Pfizer boosters were put in arms last week, we know that the number of residents who have completed a primary vaccination series continues to lag, however. That means right now the state is uh, about 48 percent full vaccination. Members of the union representing some 60,000 film and television workers have voted to authorize a strike. What does that mean? Well, it could halt film productions nationwide until, in their words, quote, basic quality of life issues are addressed. Now, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees Union announced the results yesterday and the vote was unanimous. So local 479 union president Ray Brown said the alliance of motion picture television producers was not willing to address their concerns for defined work hours. 
Uh, we're all high-fiving each other if we do a 12-hour day, but it's more like 14, 15, 16. I've done 22 and 23-hour days. I've watched the sun come up and the sun go down. It's a daily grind that we go through uh, and often well into uh, the weekend. Our work days often end sometimes early Saturday mornings. Hmm. The union had been in negotiations with the alliance, but talks ended last week without an agreement. And finally, think about this, but before you send me an email, I'm just a messenger. Car-free Sundays on Peachtree Street. The Atlanta City Council is considering legislation for a car-free Peachtree Street every Sunday. Look at the emails coming in. This would mirror the Streets Alive concept, which closes off some streets of vehicles and encourages biking and walking. Now, Closer Look has reached out to Atlanta City Council member Amir Faroki. He's among the council members supporting the measures, and he may be joining us soon to talk about it. So send your emails to him, not me. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. The appointment of longtime Democrat Kathy Woolard to chair Fulton Board of Registration Elections was met with some opposition, and not just from state GOP, the state GOP. We are threatened with a takeover almost surely now because of Kathy Woolard's paid lobbyist position. That was Fulton County Commissioner and fellow Democrat Khadijah Abdul-Rahman. Her concern was Willard's lobbyist role with the voting rights group Fair Fight Action would be problematic. But Fulton County Commission Chair Rob Pitts defended Willard's appointment. If there ever was a person who is fair and impartial, it is Kathy Willard. She is a straight shooter. The fact that she had been a lobbyist or is a lobbyist, there's nothing wrong with that. That is the legal profession. Uh, she is no longer affiliated with Fair Fight. Uh, take that off the table. Now officially on board, Kathy Willard joins me to talk about what she can with her new role. Welcome. Got to have you back on the program. Thanks, Rose. It's good to see you or hear you anyway. <laughs> I think last time we talked, we were talking about the Beltline. I don't know if that will come up in this conversation, but, you know, who knows? Hey, I'll talk about anything. <laughs> well, let's I have an opinion. <laughs> I have an opinion about everything. You know? So we hear. <laughs> Uh, but let's begin with this. For those not familiar, what exactly is the role of the Fulton Board of Registration and Elections? Well, it's it's um, uh, with any uh, oversight board, we kind of uh, decide on the policy. We help direct the staff or the, the director uh, in the work that they do. We have some specific things that we have to do in terms of certifying elections and other other things like that. But we're... Um, we're the voice of the people providing oversight over the uh, election board of Fulton County. And a little of a backstory here. When were you contacted about that 
that chairman role, the chairperson role here? Uh, it's been about a month. It was, uh, I can't remember the date, maybe September 9th, something like that. That uh, I think that's right. Yeah, it's been about a month, but I didn't get sworn in until about a week ago. Right. Were you surprised that, uh, and who reached out to you first? Uh, Chairman Pitts. Were, were you surprised? I know you've, you've known him for a long time. Were you surprised that he wanted to appoint you to that role? Yeah, I, it wasn't anything I was agitating for, that's for sure. Uh, he called and, and asked me if I'd consider it, and I sat with him, and we talked a bit. And um, it, it's a really important role, and I understand that. Um, and uh, was honored to be asked, and uh, I'm looking forward to learning things. Uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't a role I've ever had before. I've been on the other side of elections trying mm-hmm. to get people to cast votes on behalf of me. Um, or, or other candidates that I support. And so um, I, I recognize how incredibly important this is to the fundamentals of our democracy. And it was really something I didn't feel like I had uh, really the right to not do. What went, Well, let me ask you this. What went into your decision, though, to accept the nomination? It was something that was not familiar, totally familiar, unfamiliar with you. But you did you weigh the pros, the cons? Did you have a, a piece of paper and yes, this is works. No, I don't want to do it. How do you, what was your, what went into your decision process? Boy, I probably should have had a pro and con column. I, I, um, I, you know, again, I, I, I'm really distressed at the level of division in our country and having had a career in public affairs, I've been a lobbyist, I've been a grassroots organizer, I've been a candidate, I've been an elected official, I've kind of done it all, uh, except this particular role. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I have known over the almost 40 years that I have worked in politics is if everybody knows what the rules are on the playing field, the game goes a whole lot better. And if the rules change constantly, it doesn't make for a very good game. Um, and so I felt like this was an important consideration uh, that Chairman Pitts put before me. and. Um, I never really thought it was something that I wouldn't do. Uh, I just wanted to make sure that I had the time to commit to it, and I, I made that decision. You alerted Chairman Pitts that at the time you were contracted as a lobbyist for Fair Fight Action? Yes, and once the nomination, once it was put forward on the agenda uh, that he wanted to nominate me, I resigned that contract. So yet again, I have chosen volunteer activity over compensated activity in my career. What do you mean? You weren't getting paid? Well, I'm not now. Oh, you don't get a check? Oh, from Fulton County? Yeah. Oh, $300 a month. Oh. Not, that, you know. That's probably... A lot less than what you were being paid for a fair fight action, I take it. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit different, yeah. Well, obviously you had a conversation with Fulton County Chairman Rob Piss. Did you speak with other members of the commission to see if they had concerns? I did. I, I attempted to call uh, all of them or made some contact with their office um, and, uh, you know, tried to answer questions that people might have um, and had good conversations with those that I was able to reach. So, but but not all of them. Who who weren't you able to have a conversation with? Um, I, I didn't have a conversation uh, with Commissioner Hall, although we exchanged voice messages, and I appreciated her communication. And I didn't have a conversation with Commissioner Abdul Rahman, though I did 
exchange um, some emails with her office prior to the vote and everybody else I think I spoke to. Commissioner and fellow Democrat Khadija Abdur-Rahman told Closer Look that given the state's authority to take over the county's elections, that your appointment would be problematic and, and probably ignite some issues, uh, which, you know, the county has already been scrutinized by many state Republicans, including Secretary of State Raffensperger. Did you even talk to her at all? So you didn't have any conversation with her because she was the one that voted, you know, no to your appointment. Yeah, but people have their own considerations. I, I, you know, I don't consider that a problem. She's not someone uh, that I know as some of the commissioners I did know, some of the commissioners I don't know. uh, And I look forward to getting to know them better. Um, You know, I don't I don't take that personally. Um, She had a candidate that she was interested in. And uh, I, you know, uh, I just don't have an opinion about that. But um, you know, I'm looking forward to working with her as we go forward because we all want the same thing. We want good outcomes for voters in Fulton County, and um, I, I think we'll be able to, uh, you know, find ways to be productive together. Those commissioners that you did speak with, did they have concerns as it related to your work with Fair Fight Action, and what did you tell them? Well, we actually didn't talk about my work uh, prior to that. I think everybody, uh, you know, knows what I do for a living. I think, I think Rob Pitt circulated my resume around. I believe that's right. Um, and, uh, that just, you know, that wasn't a consideration. What people, what we were really talking mostly about Mm -hmm. was, um, whatever particular concerns a commissioner had about the operations of the election department and, um, you know, kind of current situations. And again, I, I'm quite new to this, so I'm, I'm not, overly opinionated about the specifics relative to the operation of the mm-hmm. department, because I'm just, I'm just sort of getting acquainted. I haven't e- even had my first full board meeting yet. Yeah. You just, you just, you just were officially sworn in. Let me ask you this, Kathy Willard, if the situation was the opposite and a Republican was appointed with lobbyist ties to a similar organization, would you think that that individual could be impartial? Well, I'd have to think about who the individual is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think anybody who has known me personally, anybody who has watched me professionally, uh, will attest that fairness is incredibly important to me. Um, objectivity is very important to me. Playing by the rules is very important to me. Mm-hmm. You know, people might remember, you know, when I ran for office on many occasions, I always had a note at the bottom of my yard signs that says, if you find this yard sign in an illegal place, please remove it and call me and I'll come get it. Because I feel like when we have election rules, it's really important for people to follow them. So even something is perhaps insignificant as where you place a yard sign, if the rule is you don't place it in a public right of way, Mm -hmm. then I follow that rule. And so um, I think I've been consistent in that. And um, I would expect that there are Republicans out there who who also are consistent about things like that and would make perfectly good uh, chairpersons for a, a for an election board. You know, we're less than a month out from Election Tuesday. And as you know, Fulton County has come under fire from your viewpoint and what you can tell me. What should the board be monitoring from now up to Election Day in terms of process? Well, I'm certainly going to look to the four other members of the board uh, in this upcoming meeting to um, 
you know, uh, hear their concerns and, and uh, follow their lead on what we should be monitoring. I'll also be asking the staff to benchmark the progress on the, the many, many different metrics mm -hmm. that they have to follow to execute an election. And it is really a, a complicated, many, many faceted endeavor that um, I, I frankly don't think that they receive enough appreciation for. And I, I don't think anybody who runs elections in this state or in this country gets enough appreciation for the, comp, you know, the really complex web of sort of legal and logistics and volunteer efforts that um, they have to perform on a single day or during a limited period of time. And of course, the person who is responsible for that is the Fulton County's elections director, which is Richard Barron, who have also come, has come under fire. Do you plan to? Would you like to have a one-on-one -on -one with him, or would you all be briefed by Mr. Barron in terms of how Fulton County is preparing for November 2nd? Uh, yeah, I, uh, um, uh, Mr. Barron and I met the day after I got sworn in. Um, it wasn't really appropriate to do so before that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we had not met before. I've not ever spoken to him prior to this. So uh, we had a good 90 minutes or so of a pretty wide ranging conversation. Like I said, I have a lot to learn mm -hmm. about Fulton County's work as well as just elections in general. Um, and we have our next regularly scheduled board meeting uh, next week on the 14th. So we will be kind of refining the agenda mm -hmm. between now and then. And I expect that it will uh, uh, contain quite a lot of a briefing because early voting will have started. 90 minutes with Mr. Bear and I imagine you had a lot of questions. What'd you ask him that you can share? Oh my goodness. I, I'd have to go back and look at my notes. I had questions from <laughs> when's my first meeting and where do I put my car? <laughs> you know, I, actually I walked down uh, to Fulton County from where I live oftentimes, but um, you know, to just, uh, Gosh, I can't even, I've had so many conversations, Rose. Honestly, there is a lot of incoming these days. Um, I can't remember all of the details without looking at notes, but um, really just wanted to hear from him, you know, sort of immediate concerns that he had and um, some very just nitty gritty questions mm -hmm. about like what my role is, what they need from me, that kind of thing. You will be in a leadership role as the chair. Um, you've held elected office. You've been president of the Atlanta City Council. How do you see, although you're still, as you say, still learning the process, but how do you see being able to transfer those skill sets from when you were elected official to this role? Well, where I think I can make an immediate contribution uh, stems from my role as president of the Atlanta City Council and um, following in Chairman Pitts's footsteps uh, prior to that. Um, you know, presiding over a meeting, presiding over meetings that, uh, you know, involve public comment, involve elected officials, involve, uh, you know, specific legal requirements is, a, is an atmosphere I'm really familiar with. I, I enjoy doing it. So, you know, I think just that process piece is where I can jump in and contribute immediately as things move on, I'll be able to be a, a little more helpful, I think, strategically about um, things we might want to focus on or how we proceed. But but right now it's a lot. I, mm -hmm. I mean, lots and lots of people want to talk about this. And, um, you know, I uh, 
I'm just trying to make make room to to onboard as systematically as I can. Given Georgia's new election law, obviously, which this November 2nd election will be the first major one since that law has been in effect. And I know you've you've read the measure. Uh, Do you have some concerns or there some areas that you really want to make sure Fulton County has has keen in on and that you all are are prepared and that through your lens, what you all can do as a board to ensure voting in Fulton County on November 2nd will run as smoothly as possible. I know there's nothing that's ever 100 (laughs) percent, you know, according to plan. But yeah. what, how do you see this? Well, again, I, I'm just speaking personally. I'm not representing the board on this at all um, because we've not had that conversation. But uh, one of the things that I find remarkable about Fulton County is that we have over 850,000 registered voters. Um, somebody told me the other day, and I haven't fact-checked it, but that's more registered voters than six states. Anybody who's driven from the south end of Fulton County to the north end in rush hour traffic knows it feels like you're crossing a state uh, to get there. And Mm -hmm. so when you multiply that times 225 voting locations, uh, you know, early voting dates, 3000 trained and certified poll workers, um, not to mention all of the legal requirements and notifications and things. Uh, it is a daunting task, and it is really remarkable um, how well we've done. The, the primary election last year, we could dedicate an entire uh, conversation to. Um, but in terms of the general election, I think they performed well. There have been audits and spot checks that have verified that. And what we want to do is take the performance of that election or those two, the general and special, and then improve upon it. Like, look at the ways. And I know we're moving to a centralized location, mm-hmm. more policies and procedures are being written, more staff are being hired. You know, it's a greater investment in the election process than we've had. And I think that that's a good thing because, um, uh, you know, it is really a complicated uh, um process to conduct a fair election and um, we intend to do so. Well, speaking of wanting to conduct a fair election, you have not officially, to my knowledge, come out and endorsed anybody either for Atlanta's next mayor or Atlanta city council president. Do you want to go ahead and make an announcement now of any sorts? Well, no, you know, the good thing about my new role is I'm prohibited from doing so. And uh, even though I am allowed to give campaign contributions, I'm not going to because it's going to save me some money and I'm going to use that as an excuse. Uh, but uh, again, I'm. Well, yeah, I since am, you're only getting, what, $300 a month from. Yeah. From, from, yeah. I'm just saying. Not to. Proportionately, I might could send somebody a buck, but then it won't appear on the disclosure. Um, no, I, I'm not. I'm not going to be involved. Uh, and, you know, I just am hoping for the best for the city we love and um, let the voters get on out there and vote. Finally, you mentioned early, early voting starts October 12th. I hope people will exercise their right. Well, you there you go. That's your first official PSA, I guess. Yeah. But you mentioned, Miss Willard, earlier. You're not getting, and I apologize, not making fun of, because, you know, for some folks that that means a lot. So I'm not definitely not making fun of how much you're making with the Fulton Board of Elections. But you mentioned that it's not a lot about, it's not about money. Um, You were removed or you were asked to be removed from the Georgia Gang, which was a weekly, you know, public affairs program. It appeared that you enjoyed that. So why take on this role now? 
I did enjoy that. As I said, I have an opinion about virtually everything that was keeping me sharp every week. I, I enjoyed the camaraderie and, and I'll miss that. Um, uh, again, you know, what happened last year uh, in our country was unprecedented. What I have noticed in my limited amount of time in this role is there is so much going on that um, it really requires a steady hand to kind of find the forest for the trees so that the staff can go about and, and do the work that they know how to do. And um, I don't know, I feel like this is a little bit like the last little cog in the wheel of democracy that I haven't done any work in. And, and um, so I think it's my time to serve and I'm willing to do it. So you feel you could be that steady hand? I hope so. I try to be. Um, I'm not somebody who kind of lurches from, you know, emergency to emergency, uh, especially once I sort of see what the course is. I haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, and so if I can be helpful in that way and, and help people understand the facts behind any given situation, then um, I, I will feel like that's a credible contribution. Newly appointed Kathy Willard to chair Fulton Board of Registration and Elections. Thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for answering the questions. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. listening to Closer Look from WABE here in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. According to preliminary estimates from the CDC, the 2019-2020 flu season included this, 35 million flu-related illnesses, 16 million flu-related medical visits, 380,000 flu-related hospitalizations, and 20,000 flu-related deaths. Of course, these numbers also reflective during the coronavirus pandemic, which continues. And October is typically when flu vaccine campaigns begin. We hear all the PSAs and all the announcements. And perhaps a question many of you may have is, if you are vaccinated against COVID-19, do you still need a flu shot? Well, joining me now to answer that question and more because she's qualified and I'm not is Dr. Michelle Nichols, Associate Dean for Clinical Affairs and Medical Director for Morehouse Healthcare. Dr. Nichols, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. And we should note that although Dr. Nichols is definitely qualified to answer all these questions, we encourage you to always consult your primary care physician for your other for any questions you may have. Well, Dr. Nichols, we have some questions from listeners that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, but first, what can you tell us about this year's influenza strain? So what we do when we consider the influenza strain of how to make our vaccines, we look at what was prevalent in the community the previous year. Mm-hmm. So this year, you have to realize that last year we were sheltering in place and doing all other kind of things. Um, in early October or just trying not to get out as much. So you, we saw a very low prevalence of flu in general, mm-hmm. but still we did see some cases. So what we do is look at what we had previous years and then we develop this vaccine. So it basically changes a little bit every single year. So what can we expect? One of the things that we are very concerned about this year is that we're going to have a twin demic. Mm-hmm. So by twin trend, the twin demic, I am referring to the fact that 
we already have the issues going on with the COVID-19, but then we're also going to have the, the flu because now we're getting out and about more. Say so last year, remember I said we didn't have that as much. Mm. So now most of us are out. And so that is why it's very important that we look at what we do as far as getting the flu vaccine. So when you just told me a moment ago that the severity of an influenza season varies from season to season and the factors playing into the severity of a f- the flu season this year could be because we are we are getting out more uh, as we as opposed to last year. That's pretty much what you're saying. I want to be clear. Correct. So we're getting out and about. You know, most of us are, are, are out. Most people have returned back to work. Most students have returned back to school. So we are going to see the influenza again. And so we just need to be prepared by getting a flu vaccine. I have an emailer here from Carol who says, well, aren't some of the symptoms of COVID-19 similar to the flu? So uh, what should one do? How do they know? So that is the concern. That's why when I mentioned twin-demic, mm-hmm. they are almost identical. They are viruses. So when they are viruses, you have pretty much the same thing. You have the fever, you have the chills, you have the body aches. So you have most of the same symptoms. You don't really see the loss of taste and, and smell like you see with the coronavirus. But other than that, most of the symptoms are identical. So that is why we need to protect ourselves by taking the flu vaccine as well as getting the COVID-19 vaccine. And another listener emailed me actually last night and had a question of, well, why wouldn't the COVID-19 vaccine be effective against the flu? And I imagine you get that question quite a bit. I get that question a lot, actually, because they're two different viruses. There are many, many hundreds of viruses out there. The coronavirus is significantly different. It's a different type of virus than the influenza um, virus. So therefore the COVID-19 vaccine does not cover you, does not protect you. Think of it the same way as if you had the MMR vaccine that we had as children. That Mm -hmm. is not the same thing that's gonna protect you against the hepatitis B vaccine. Mm -hmm. So these are two completely different vaccines. For those who have received uh, the vaccine and a booster shot, is there any concern about any adverse effects that you know of that might occur with someone now getting the flu vaccine, to your knowledge? No, not that I'm aware. And based on the science and based on what the recommendations are, they are now saying that it is safe to take both the flu vaccine and the corona vaccine at the same time. At because the same, there are now people who at are the same at, time at the same time you can take them at the same time because remember there are some people who are now eligible for their boosters mm-hmm. and we are still trying to get people vaccinated for their first you know for their first and their second dose so now like that's because we have looked at the data mm-hmm. and so we see that it is it is safe to get both of them at the same time if you so choose so there's nothing that will prevent you We're trying to make it as convenient as possible for people. But we do encourage people to get both the flu vaccine and the COVID-19 vaccine. Let me get your thoughts on this, because we've had this conversation come up so many times. Had this conversation just last week with Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. He and, and others have talked about from both sides of the aisle have talked about messaging has been an issue with the vaccine as it relates to COVID-19 uh, and and the the mask, you know, who should get it when kids should kids wear a mask and should kids get the vaccine? And what's your take on the messaging? And, you know, through your lens, could this have been could the 
the federal government had done a better job of messaging. And I know, as Dr. Fauci has always said, you know, we changed our messaging because the virus changed when the Delta variant came into light. Just talk about that for a moment. So, you know, I try not to politicize anything, but the thing is that we need to get the same message out. And Dr. Fauci is absolutely correct. The things change. You know, this is a rapidly changing, we're getting more data, more the science is telling us differently. But there are certain things that we know that wearing a mask, regardless if you are vaccinated or not, helps protect you and the others that are around you. That we should keep a social distance, that we should wash our hands, that if we are in indoors, it is very important, regardless of if you're vaccinated or not to make sure that you wear a mask. So I think that the important thing is that we need to try to make the message consistent and clear because this is causing a lot of confusion. And so often, you know, people make assumptions that people are vaccinated or not, Mm -hmm. but we still have to look at the fact that in the state of Georgia, we only have almost 46% of our people are fully vaccinated. So that means that a lot of the people around you, over 50% are not vaccinated. So that's why we need to wear the mask and do what we can to protect ourselves and others. The voice you hear is Dr. Michelle Nichols, Associate Dean for Clinical Affairs and Medical Director for Morehouse Healthcare. And we're actually talking about the flu vaccine and what you all should know. Let's go back to that for a moment. For our listeners who may not be aware, let's just go over some of the general guidelines in terms of who is eligible for that vaccine in terms of the youngest age and also if someone is experiencing or has any other underlying conditions? Let's first begin with at the age uh, limits here. Um, at what age can someone receive the flu vaccine? Babies can re- receive the flu vaccine. So we encourage our pediatric population for your babies. Because they have not been exposed to flu or the flu vaccine before, They have to get two doses, just like we are with the COVID-19 vaccine for us as adults. Mm -hmm. Children have to get two. Um, But once you have done it, then we go to the once a year. So we said from babies all the way up is to get the flu vaccine. It is particularly important for our older population to get vaccinated. And they have a different type of vaccine. It's something called the high dose vaccine. So the high dose vaccine is, is meant for people who are 65 and older because it has a little bit more of, of the vaccine in it to protect them. But in general, everyone can do it. People keep complaining and saying, I'm allergic to eggs. The new vaccines don't have egg products in them anyway. Oh, so that so excuse that doesn't no work anymore? <laughs> doesn't work. That excuse is always. I always tell people, I'm allergic to eggs. I said, fine, it doesn't have egg products in it. So can't use that one anymore. But it's very important that people get vaccinated from 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 babies all the way up to our hundred and older year old um, community. I have a friend who uses that, but really he's just afraid to say he's scared of needles, which I understand. I'm not knocking people who are afraid of needles, y'all. I so don't send me an email. Probably shouldn't even say it that, Dr. Nichols, because now here they come. But you're just saying you can't use that excuse about the eggs and the, the can't allergies. use that and can't use i'm afraid of needles a lot of people do that um well now i don't want to i don't want to get on the people no, who are no, afraid of what needles. i want to say is the needles are small and they are very very small so all you feel is a pink so and your arm might hurt down let me say that the most common side effect from the flu vaccine just like the corona vaccine is the the arm pain so it's important that people you know 
They make sure they massage the arm. I tell people always drink plenty of fluids and take Tylenol or whatever you prefer for, for pain uh, if needed. But that's the, and it's a very small needle. Are you so sure? That's <laughs> I'm, very, I'm positive. <laughs> Let's Positive. let's let's go. Uh, let's talk about another population here. People that may have some un- underlying con- conditions here. Is there any condition that you know of that folks should maybe consult with their primary care, uh, primary care physician before getting the flu vaccine? Because in the past we know there's been some some issues here. So yes, there are a few conditions. So if you do know that you are allergic or think you might be allergic to any of the components in the vaccine, but eggs don't count anymore, then please consult your your provider. Also, people who have had some type of reaction in the past, recent past is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. then they should consult their physician. And another one is something called Guillain-Barre. So it's like a neurological um, condition where some people had some type of reaction previously, or then they should consult their physician. I always tell people, if you have doubt, mm-hmm. talk to your doctor or even talk to the pharmacy. So wherever you decide to get your vaccine, just have that question. When you fill out for your flu vaccine, there is a consent form, just like with anything else. So when you fill out that consent form, that it asks you those questions. Are you allergic to any components of this? Mm-hmm. So if you check yes, make sure you get more information. Dr. Nichols, given the fact that you talked about the symptoms are quite sim- similar between the, for COVID-19 and the flu, and given that our hospitals and our urgent cares are just bombarded with so many people, I guess for a person who just doesn't know, you, you know, do you suggest that they then try to go to the hospital or contact? I mean, there's nothing that really can say this is COVID or this is the flu or should they try to maybe take something and, and then see what happens? But you also don't want people to prolong a visit if it is COVID-19 because you just never know. So that's why it's important to go to like a health clinic. Um, you know, our, our emergency rooms are, are still overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. They're better than they were. The numbers are coming down a bit. But go to a health clinic because we can differentiate at least to some degree what it is. We have tests called the flu test. Well, we can actually test you to see if you have the flu, if this is potentially a flu, a strand that we can test for. But they are very similar. You know, many places have the ability to test on site, mm-hmm. do a rapid test for the coronavirus. They do not cross. So therefore, we can help differentiate. But that is important to seek medical attention and probably an urgent care or your family doc will be the first line of defense for that. What are you all doing over at the Morehouse School of Medicine as it relates to you've been so busy with, you know, campaigns and awareness about COVID-19 and the vaccines and and earlier testing. What are you all doing in terms of getting the flu vaccine for folks, particularly in populations that you serve primarily? Yes. So we just started our flu uh, vaccine campaign. So anyone we are allowing people to walk in, they can actually walk into our clinic and get either a flu vaccine or a COVID-19 vaccine. So we are starting that. We're getting the messaging out to encourage people to come to us, go to their pharmacy or go to their their primary care doctor and get their vaccine because that is very important because we don't want a twindemic. Because, mm-hmm. you know, previous years we've heard the horror stories and the deaths associated with flu, but we forget the the influenza virus kills people too. Mm-hmm. It makes people really sick, particularly those that have chronic medical conditions. It is important that they get vaccinated. 
with both. Dr. Nichols, let me ask you this, if you don't mind answering. How long have you been a physician? How long have you been in this this industry, I guess? So, <laughs> a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. So let me just say, I finished medical school in 1990. Mm-hmm. And then I actually finished my training in 1994. So that puts me that I am a very, very, very long time. So, um, but you are well qualified. No, but you're a well, and the reason I asked it because you're a well qualified, obviously. But I'm curious, how many conversations? How often are you having the conversations with folks? Whether it was even pre-pandemic about vaccine hesitancy, and and even now with with the flu. But when you have those conversations with folks, what are you telling them, and what are their concerns? So I've been doing this like you hear for a very, very long time. So I'm in the 30-year practicing range. So with that, I tell them that it is important to get vaccinated. It is important to listen to the science, not to listen to social media and misinformation, which is what we hear so often about the flu, the coronavirus. It is important that you do what you can to protect yourself and those people around you, your loved ones, your colleagues, your community. So I tell people that vaccines are the best way that we have so far to prevent so many preventable diseases. And I give them, I say, you know, like smallpox, it's not around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, MMR, you know, you start giving your, your kids that when they're very small. So chickenpox, most people don't get it naturally anymore because they got the vaccines when they were children for the, the younger people, mm-hmm. people that are probably under 30. But with that, I'm just saying it's important that you take care of your health and get vaccinated. But with with black folks and, and who have said, you know, my someone in my family told me about the Tuskegee experiment. We learned about it in school. And this is pre-social media. That still was a concern. You know, what what do you tell people about that? Or they say, oh, the vaccine was they came up with it too quick, which we know that's not true. But what do you you know, how do you answer that? What's your response? You know, I went to a vaccine rally and I had the honor of being there with um, the great um, Ambassador Andrew Young. And during that, he made a comment to people about that when asked that question. He said, remember, the the Tuskegee was about withholding medication and treatment from from people. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with giving people treatment. So it's important that you get your facts and your data correct. So that's why it's important to listen to the science. Don't go by what you hear as rumors um, and listen to the experts. This, there has been a lot of science that was done. We were able, you know, we were able to do things faster and faster and faster now. But the, the science behind the coronavirus and the influenza and vaccines are all there. So listen to the science and what the experts are saying and not to what people are giving misinformation sometimes, oftentimes on social media. Hmm. Dr. Michelle Nichols, Associate Dean for Clinical Affairs and Medical Director for Morehouse Healthcare. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for answering the questions. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to speak. Thank you. And once again, there are no eggs in the influenza vaccine. Correct. That is a rumor. That's one of those myths. That, it's, that's it fake news. That, so it's fake news. Now it's fake news. Thank you, Dr. Nichols. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
And that's it for this edition of Closer Look. A reminder, you can always catch Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to wherever you like. And a programming note on tomorrow's program, a conversation with lawyer, professor, author Anita Hill. So that's coming up tomorrow. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.